I've got uh, a cap. I thought it was white, but it, it's bright pink, which is quite annoying. Um, it's got Tweety Pie on it. That's actually kind of cool. Is it? No. Just a trick. I was getting quite excited then. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Welcome along to You Have Been Watching, the podcast that invites a different guest each episode to choose some of their favourite telly shows. They'll be asked to pick four separate shows from each of our categories and a couple of bonus choices as well. Why? Because they've won our made-up competition to spend a weekend away at a luxurious travel lodge in the heart of Preston. Joining me as ever for this expedition through television is Luke Bateman, a man who wore a sports watch for a whole year to impress people. It would have worked, except he didn't do any sport and the hour hand stopped working at the start of October. And shuffling behind at a snail's pace is my best mate and arch nemesis, Elliot Williams. A man who is so vain that instead of using a holy angel, he puts a framed photograph of himself as a toddler at the summit of his family's Christmas tree. Holy night, unholy sight. <laughs> Hello, welcome to another edition. Are you all right? Hello, Hart. Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Yourself? I'm okay. Uh, YHBW. That's a little acronym I've made in the podcast. What? You have been watching. Oh, great. That's going to take off. It's what literally nobody's called it so far. <laughs> really it's going to take off. Just because you've got a new phone, you're going down with the kids now, are you? Yeah, I, I'm very happy. I've, I've got a new phone. It's massive. I'm sorry? It's massive, my phone. Is it? What have you got? Um, I think it's an SE, so it's not particularly flash. Oh, that's the brand um, new one, isn't it? Potentially, but I've got it and I'm struggling with the size. It's smaller. It's uh, smaller, strangely, and it's for smaller people with smaller hands. So you being six foot four, that's gone well. <laughs> I'm not really that tall. Are you? <laughs> In case people are really terrified, I was about six foot two. Is it one of those that has the facial recognition? I think it does, but I passed on setting that up because I'm a bit scared about <laughs> You're it. You're such an old man. Well, listen, uh, some people like to do it, like you, but I don't want to have to look directly into my phone every time I want to open it. I might want to open it sometimes discreetly in my pocket or, I don't know, behind my back or quietly. I don't want to have to stare at it all the time. How are you looking at your phone behind your back? That's a skill enough. Because I can use my thumb to open the phone. I don't want to have to directly have a conversation with the screen every time I want to unlock it. That's annoying. It's more annoying. To be fair, it doesn't work for me a lot of the time. When I'm in bed, and like the full double chin is in there, and now my hair's getting slightly longer and if i grow three strands of hair as a beard it doesn't recognize me so it's a real issue it denies me access and i've got to do the, the old uh you know, 216412 the old password <laughs> <laughs> i haven't set up apple pay though actually i'm a bit scared about that as well You're so stupid. you like to get the actual card out don't you like we're in 2003 again Look, that's not that old-fashioned. A lot of people don't even have contactless, so it's not that old-fashioned to get the card out and swipe it on things. I, I'm just a bit scared that um, I might do something silly, or because or, you can pay on a watch, you can just pay by tapping your phone. I feel old-fashioned when I have to get a wallet out, so all I do is double-click my phone a couple of times, have a look at it with my face, my face gives it access to the funds, and then I pay the cashier. Have some opal fruit. Maybe you're right. Perhaps getting out the contactless card is as old-fashioned as bringing out the penny farthing. <laughs> Do you take care of your phone? 
Um, I have dropped it, uh, not this new one, but I have dropped several phones on other occasions, but I'm not clumsy. I don't often lose it, do you? No, I've never scratched it. I've never dented it. I've never dropped it. Who are these dweebs who smash the phone screen within 25 seconds of getting it and then just walk around with a cracked phone screen, which they have to use as a touchscreen and then might get a bit of glass in their thumb? Who are these daredevils? I don't know. People often drop it in the toilet as well. How? Um, I don't know, really. If you're sitting down at the toilet and you drop it, is there not going to be something in the way? <laughs> what, like a shit? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I don't know what you're implying. Well, no, a bit of, a bit of anatomy. <laughs> An excrement barrier. <laughs> no, some personal anatomy. Well, I don't want to get into it. <laughs> and who's dropping it on playgrounds anymore? They're a bit young for phones, There are people aren't they? that I know who are 23, 24, and still like drop them. things on playgrounds. You shouldn't be friends well, with yeah, them. Well, yeah, a lot of people drop them. <laughs> Why has it come back to me being friends with you, youngsters you, again? You need to get a better set of friends. <laughs> so, new phone for me. A um, bit of a strange purchase because I'm, if it is a new SE, that's quite modern for me. I only like to buy things that I genuinely need or will help me spend less money in the future. So, I got one of these hip flasks. Really served me well, actually. I could take it to outdoor drinking establishments in London or at the Edinburgh Fringe was really helpful because I could buy a Coke and if I already had a bit of vodka in there, you know, you put a little splash in there and it's great and you've saved yourself four quid a go. But then I got another hip flask for Christmas, which I didn't ask for. It's got a sort of cheek brown leathery strap around it and it says, Luke, the man, the myth, the legend. And then it's got an engraving of a mountain. The lettering of your name there is so massive that if you ever do get found out in a pub or it drops out, they're going to know instantly who's been pouring the vodka in. They're going to know that it's the man, the myth, the legend. <laughs> Me. <laughs> you buy things for the bargain and I buy things for the weirdness of them. I've got a little necklace with a peg on it, like a, like a washing peg. That is really weird. Exactly. It's great. I get weird stuff and I like that kind of thing. My favourite purchase came about two weeks ago and I've never been prouder to have bought something from eBay at the dead of night. So I, I told you about this item, didn't I? And I didn't tell you what it was just in case I didn't get it. But I started a bidding at 99p for this weird item that I found. Two days later, basically, I won it, which is really cool. So what I've won, direct from Stephen Moffat, writer of Dracula, Sherlock, Doctor Who is the BBC Radio 1 Teen Award 2014 for Best British TV Show presented by Matt Edmondson and Ashley and Pudsey for Sherlock Season 3, the worst series. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder he's chucking it. <laughs> but that was the genuine one, wasn't it? It's really quite incredible and there's a photo as well, isn't there, that where nobody's collected it. It's just lying on the floor and that's actually now on your shelf. So it was just a putty sniffing around at it uh, and no one's collected it. So it, now it's here with me on my desk. I'm celebrating someone else's achievements. Kind of thinking they're my own. 99p! They spent millions making that bloody show. It's won Emmys. It's won BAFTAs. BAFTAs. If you turn it around, well, it looks like you've scored a Radio 1 number one, which yeah, is excellent. It it's really cool. Well, uh, no wonder Stephen Moffat didn't want the uh, Radio Teams Award if he's got all these BAFTAs and Emmys. Series 2 was good. I remember watching The Hand of the Basketballs that we were talking about uh, and I got called because my dog at the time had just broken his leg down the stairs. You broke his leg? What were you laughing for? Oh my God. Yeah. I didn't really... You never think of a dog so I had to a broken So I had to restart the episode because I wanted it to start again. Oh, poor thing. Yeah. What happened to the dog? It died. <laughs> oh my God. It didn't die. It was... Well, eventually everything dies, Luke. Do you know if it's dead? No. We had to give it away because it was schizo. <laughs> Oh no! And yeah. did it, did it have to have a sling or a cast or something? Yeah, we slung it right out the back door. 
Uh, and it had to have a little, yeah, it had a little limping for a few days. A broken leg recovered well, in two weeks. days. <laughs> I don't know. Oh my God. Hugo, the little shih tzu. <laughs> Yeah, remember that? I do remember that, yeah. but I, I never really realised it broke its leg. Yeah. That's a shame. I, it, worst, worst tragedy is that you had to restart Hound of the Basketball. <laughs> yeah, it was a real shame. That was 45 minutes of not getting back. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and, a, and a leg that he never got back in full bone structure. So here on You Have Been Watching, we imagine that our special guest has won a weekend away in a hotel room in Preston, where all they can do is lie back and watch telly. They'll be choosing four of their favourite ever TV shows, and we'll be hearing why they've chosen them and what it means to them. At the end, we'll also ask them which television personality they want to spend their weekend with and what they'd like to eat. Our competition winner today is Sean McLaughlin, born 3rd of October 1987, presumably conceived around 3rd of January 1987 too. Sean is both a writer and a stand-up comedian, now based in London. Time Out magazine describes him as the best comedian you haven't heard of, which seems a backhanded compliment given all his achievements so far. Manic, unpredictable, genuinely unhinged and a little bit frightening, it's often been said Sean's a bit mad on stage too. He's one of the most talked about acts on the live comedy scene. And if you're a stand-up connoisseur, you may recognise him from the UK circuit. He's taken not one, not four, but six solo shows to the Edinburgh Fringe. If you're an avid viewer of comedy on TV, you may recognise Sean from Netflix's smash sitcom Afterlife, or perhaps his work on Comedy Central at the Comedy Store, or maybe his appearances on Stand Up Central or his set for Kevin Hart's Long Network. At his unleashed, unfiltered best, Sean has smashed support slots for both Doug Stanhope and Catherine Ryan, as well as supporting Ricky Gervais for his latest international humanity tour. Not shy to podcasting either, his Heal Your Wounds show was nominated for a prestigious Chortle Comedy Award, and he's a regular guest on Deadly Serious, also with Ricky Gervais. He's headlined in England, across Europe, and around North America, and now he's headlining this very podcast by the wonders of modern technology. Hello. What a what what a fantastic rundown of the career I used to have. <laughs> We've been having some amazing weather recently. Where, where do you stand on weather? Luke loves it. I absolutely despise it. I think when people say they go outside because it's a lovely day, they're absolute liars, and it's all hmm. false, false happiness, and they just need to shut up and get on with everything. Well, I tell you something. I I've always hated the outdoors. On, on any level, I hate the countryside. I hate... I mean, if it was up to me, I would live in just a studio flat and the, on the top floor and it would just rain all day. Like, I don't want anything to do with it. <laughs> but I, if, I will actually say that the winter we had was so brutal last winter that I was desperate for some sun. And actually, today I had a nice run. I sat outside. I've got a garden. I sat there and I did some writing. And it was a bit, I have to accept it was a bit nice. I'm sort of on the fence with this, but I appreciate where both of you are coming from. That's the way to do it. That sounds delightful. Mm. Otherwise, you're a couple of vampiric losers. I'm buying a lot of weird things. I'm buying a countdown teapot off eBay, hopefully, that the winner of the 2012 one doesn't want. I just buy weird music boxes and all that stuff. Loot likes value for money. Did you buy weird things? I'll tell you what just arrived for me today. And this is not, the weird thing about the fact that I bought this is that this is genuinely an anniversary present for my wife because it's our anniversary. (laughs) Oh, how lovely. It is a children's 3D St. Paul's Cathedral puzzle. (laughs) How many pieces are in that? It's 107 pieces, no glue, and you get to make a quality model of St. Paul's Cathedral afterwards. (laughs) As long Uh, as it's quality. A a cathedral that we both enjoy, me and my good lady. (laughs) (laughs) That is genuinely really, really weird. That's really sweet. I've got 
a sincere worry that she has prepared an extraordinarily romantic and thoughtful series of gifts. I like, I think she said something about how she's going to cook this incredible meal, and I've got that. And well, I mean, our, our anniversary is next week, so. Why is it for children? Are they particularly into cathedral architecture? I don't know. That's. I tell you what. I'm actually. I reckon they've put a child on it to make it look bigger because they've got <laughs> a child on the box. You can always make it and put it on the table for when you have your romantic meal instead of a candle. Just to put the candle at the top of St Paul's Cathedral. Oh yeah, yeah, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah, that's what I'll do. That's what I'll do. I'm sure. I, I don't know if it's particularly make it in, but I just wanted to ask you about Newcastle because I also went there as a student. You were there as well, weren't you? Yeah. Fuck! Do you know that? I've done um, a lot of good research. I just saw, I just yeah. saw a quick interview with you that said you didn't want a dog and parrot, which I've been to a few times. Um, a little bit worse for wear. It's not somewhere you go sober. That was the only gig in Newcastle when I was a student there. Oh, like, okay. well, not the only gig, but like it was a weekly open mic night every Tuesday. And it was sort of perfect for a guy like me who sort of wanted to do something and stand up was, you know, something you broadly interested in. And and it was like a, it was a proper old fashioned open mic night. Like you'd have a few pros coming in doing new material, but a lot of just nutcases <laughs> who had no idea what was going on. And I would do that gig once every sort of six weeks. And that was the first two years of the stand-up. That was the only place I ever played was, was the Dog and Parrot. Eventually, some of the people who ran that gig were like, oh, you should do other gigs, you know, you can't. Yeah. What is a an average week for you as a comedian like? Um, it's, I mean, it varies a lot. I would say on average, I'm doing five a week, four or five a week. Uh, sometimes you do a couple a night, two or three a night, sometimes at a weekend. Particularly in central London, you can really dash around. The kind of month leading into this, I was opening for Gervais on his tour. So sometimes we'd be flying out to cool, glamorous, exotic locations and he would stay in the best hotel in that location and I would stay in a slightly less <laughs> slightly less good hotel. Uh, Could you not be put in the same one? That seems slightly unfair. A couple of times a couple of times I have been. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but a couple of times I have been put in the same hotel. And let me tell you, it's fucking I can never go back. I can never go back. Can never go back. Why not? I can never go back to, to the old hotels. I can't I'm not doing Premier Inn anymore. I can't do yeah. travel lodge. Basically, I would gig five times a week. I, I sort of made a, an effort in the last year to travel a bit less, which is so gig more in the southeast in London as opposed to huge drives to Wales and the northwest. Yeah, usually four or five gigs a week. I feel almost embarrassed for the level of research we've done here because I think it's coming across as creepy, but I do really want to just hear about the Portsmouth story. All right. Yeah, okay. I think I know which... Yeah, that was one of the lowest points of my life, actually. Oh, God. <laughs> Okay, it's just a, it's just an astonishingly heavy moment for me and it, it's going to take oh, me a long while to compose myself oh no forget it forget <laughs> I it might have to, i might have to construct saint paul's cathedral just as a way of stressing <laughs> but I, re I remember that being quite early on into me trying to be a comedian i'd sort of been an open micer for a little while and i was sort of got, i'd made a decision i'm going to commit to this and i'm going to do everything i can to, to just go pro and i did a gig in portsmouth and it was like a, a competition and i was on first and i walked on and I was so bad. Like it wasn't just the audience. Everything about it was it was the it was singularly horrifying to even think about. Like I'm surprised they carried on with the gig. I was so bad. They should have just or like just the reaction was it was less than silence. I don't even know what I don't know what you say. It was like it was a silence the likes of which I've never. Like I can only imagine it's what it, it's it's what it sounded like just after nine eleven or something. Like it was just not, it was an atrocity. And I was so aware that I was in Portsmouth and I had to get back to Brighton because that's where I was living. And I didn't have a car. 
And so I ran to the train. Basically, I come to terms with the idea that I was going to stay overnight in Portsmouth, just on the street or just wait for the first train. But I thought, but it doesn't matter because I'll win this competition and I'll be so full of spirits. And probably someone in the audience is going to try and get off with me. I mean, this is going to be perfect. <laughs> and I think about 30 seconds into my performance, I realized, well, all of those dreams are gone, what I had for the night. So I just, I ran out of the building. I ran to the train station. I'd missed the last train back to Brighton from Portsmouth. <laughs> I got a train to Littlehampton, which is further up the coast. Horrible. Horrible. It's a, it's a mini golf course and then just rows and rows of houses for racists. <laughs> oh, God. And I just sort of, I don't know why, I was in this sort of frenzy and I just made this decision, I'm going to just walk home from Littlehampton. And I just kept walking along the beach, but it was a really blustery night. Eventually I had to cut up. I was just... I couldn't do it. I didn't even make it to Worthing. Uh, oh, sure, we, that sounds correct. We've all been there. We, we did King Gong once and we lasted seven seconds as a duo. So uh, yeah. don't worry. Oh, really? Seven seconds? <laughs> and we wore suits as well. Matching suits with matching ties. It was just a horrible, horrible act. It was just awful. And the annoying thing is we paid for the uh, the video beforehand. So when they send that back, we got yeah. seven seconds. And they missed the first three seconds of it. Oh, God. You should sell that four seconds to Netflix. That could be your first special. <laughs> Going back to you uh, supporting other comics, do you do you like supporting other comics? Do you, do you feel like there's less pressure and you can go out there and be yourself, or do you just look at them and think, you utter, utter bastards? No, I love it. I genuinely love it. I, I, I sort of got my first early breaks, sort of small breaks from, from doing tour support. It's a job I still enjoy. I, as far as I'm concerned, you know, and I've opened for people like Stan Hope. I did Bill Burr a couple of years ago and, you know, I've done a lot for Gervais. And it's a real honour because I get to go to those places and I get to play in the same venues and, and yeah, I, I, you know, I get to do all of that, but I don't have the hassle of being really famous and, you know, I can still walk around. So, yeah, I, I, I genuinely love it. And and it's an incredible shop window for big audiences. Like it, the, the amount of people who I've played, if you play in bigger venues and you go, well, if I can get, let's say you do like 8,000 seats in, in Stockholm or something, and you go, well, I could come back maybe to Stockholm. And if 200 of those come, like if I get 2% of those people coming back, that's a really good solo show I can do. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I I feel incredibly lucky to, to to get that to have got all those jobs i really do hopefully we don't freak you out with the, the graham <laughs> norton show level of research here um but i no, think you I said in an interview you did a gig with ricky gervais in a in a newly opened arena in copenhagen you said that was the best gig you'd ever done is that still true and if so why well it was just one of those special occasionally you get special nights where everything kind of comes together and it was it was the first time there'd ever been comedy at this venue so technically i was the first comic to ever play it as i was repeatedly told on the walk-in and it was i mean it was massive it was like fifteen thousand people which is pretty massive and i was so terrified i mean i guess that was it it was the scale of it terrified me because i hadn't even done that many for ricky at this point i was the second choice for that tour that was the humanity tour and i was just convinced it would be a disaster my girlfriend who i'm now married to but she was then my girlfriend had just moved to europe she's from canada she just moved to europe this she'd only ever seen me do comedy once before and it was in a leisure center and it was just ridiculous but then you go out and it was it was just it was like a dream gig it was just incredible the entire audience were in there from the beginning which often isn't the way with arenas often the first five ten minutes you're waiting for it to fill up and i loved it i mean i yeah i, I still would say it's yeah, it, it, I hope it will always be in the top five. I can't see how it can't be. It was such a great night. Because then, and then me and my girlfriend just, 
like we, we hung around, there was this book backstage that we went through because Rick, Ricky left uh, sort of as soon as he'd been on. And so we went into his dressing room. He had loads of booze and a rider and we drank it all. <laughs> there was like this incredible leather bound book for everyone who's ever played it would sign and write messages to the venue. And because the venue was so new, it was only about six months old. So it was like Metallica and Lady Gaga and the Harlem Globetrotters. And we were just laughing so much that we were there reading this book. And then we got to go into Copenhagen, which is one of my favorite cities. It sounds like you really get on with Ricky and he clearly really, really rates you as well. We'll talk about if I'm writing stuff, he'll be writing stuff. I mean, with this tour that we're currently doing, I was in on at the beginning of that tour. You know, I was there at those early um, work in progress shows that you mentioned earlier. And so I saw the show grow. And then I've also been writing stuff. And yeah, he, I mean, he, he, he really, uh, he loves comedy and he loves jokes. And so trying to sort of develop you know, be a bit analytical about stand-up and stuff like that is is right up both of our alleys. But it's not always like that, you know. It's a really fun job. He's a really fun guy. You've mellowed ever so slightly now, Sean, but what are the things that grind your gears? What gets you angry now you're living a, a quieter, mellowed life? I mean, it's still all there, I think, all the all the sort of things that annoy me. It, it, a lot. Of, I, it was mainly sort of self-loathing, and unfortunately I'm the one element that I can't get rid of. <laughs> um <laughs> Everything, you know, I mean, I, I really do think I'm a terrible husband. I've only been a husband for a year and I just think I'm so bad at it. I'm so lazy. And I sort of, <laughs> I resent being asked to do anything. What a ridiculous situation to be in. <laughs> I, I, try, I try to let the, the things that annoy me, I try to sort of ignore now. Oh, I'm just, it's probably just, I'm playing Red Dead Redemption 2 at the moment. And I think someone shot my horse and really, really annoyed me. <laughs> that was it. Because I mean, you have to grow them up from really young. It's really annoying. Really upsetting. I know. Oh, well. It's a good game. It's a good, good game. It's the small things. Well, you said you would never go back there, but sadly, we're making you and forcing you to go back to a travel lodge because congratulations, Sean McLaughlin. You've won a luxury weekend break to the idyllic city of Preston, where you'll be spending all your time in the finest twin bedroom Preston's Travel Lodge has to offer. It's common knowledge there's little to do in Preston other than to sit in bed all day and watch television. We hope you have a pleasant stay. Thank you. Of all the things I thought I didn't think I'd miss. I really miss traveling, the traveling of being a comedian and just getting into a hotel room and watching TV. I just, I really enjoy that. And I, it's a strange thing to miss. I'm gagging for a night in Preston travel on. <laughs> but Nobody's ever said that before. Gagging for it. You must finish quite late. So surely it's just like Jackpot Casino that you're going in to watch. I'll watch it. I don't care. I'll watch that. I'll watch, um, or usually like some film on Channel 5 or something that's just started. Down if, a few free milk sachets. If you're lucky, uh, some biscuits. If you're lucky, though. If you're very lucky. Yeah. I mean, yeah, very lucky. I don't think you're getting that impressed, and I'm not going to lie. No, not on a travel lodge. A travel, a travel lodge is, yeah, it's bare bones, isn't it? So you get to go to a travel lodge in Preston. You get to take four TV shows with you. We're going to go one by one and you get a little category uh, to help you make you pick those shows. And you get a TV personality and an unlimited snack as well. But we'll come on to those a little bit later on. So the first TV show you get to take with you is a TV show that makes you think of your childhood. Well, this one, uh, this is probably my my favourite show. I mean, it's even to say it's my favourite show. It's kind of, it's probably putting it lightly, is uh, The Simpsons, which I just, I don't recall a time in my life where I didn't love that show. Particularly as a child, it was the show that got me into comedy, really. It was the show that made me realise how good comedy could be. I remember being blown away as a kid watching it. 
yeah, I mean, the, the, the Simpsons was a, a huge part of my childhood. It was a huge formative thing for me. Uh, and it's still my favourite thing. It's still my favourite thing to watch. And I mean, yeah. it's still going now. What are we? Are we 25, 26 series in now or maybe even more? 31 just ended. Oh, season 31. Hell. And I don't watch, I mean, look, I, I, it's that classic thing. I don't watch anything after the first 10 years usually. But uh, I still think those first few years is, it's it's the best comedy. It's it's probably the, 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 be- the best comedy that's ever happened. I just think it's so incredible. The scope of the show, the ambition of the show, I think it, you know, it probably it probably did change TV a lot. I mean, I guess you two are the TV experts, so you know more than me. But I think it was I think it was viewed as quite a revolution. I mean, it, obviously, the fact that it's a, a prime time cartoon in the states was hadn't happened since the Flintstones. Just how deeply flawed the characters were. I mean, Homer's very likable, but he's you know a drunk and a loser, and he sort of yeah. abuses his family at times. And... He's a pretty bad dad, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, I think he genuinely loves his kids. But he's definitely his heart's in the right place. But he's he's never yeah he's pretty bad dad. The Simpsons is now such an institution. But I guess those first few years it was viewed as this genuinely rebellious, anarchic show, which I guess shows how much we've changed in thirty years. I mean, there's not going to be many people who don't know what The Simpsons is. But if you did have to describe what the show was about, do you think you could, or is it a bit more complex than you think? Because he works at a plantation, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, he's a nuclear. Well, it works in a nuclear power plant. It doesn't work on a plantation. It's not a... Oh, yeah, that's that, very that, different, that's actually. Very, it's very, very... about slavery. <laughs> that's very different. It was rebellious and really kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how do you even describe The Simpsons? I guess it's it's a, it's a an animated sitcom about a, a family that I guess is pretty satirical about American culture, I suppose. And I mean, that's that's the only thing I'd, I'd describe it. I go very fast paced, very um, very gag heavy. Really, that's... I mean, it's, it's almost... Uh, it's overlooked quite how much comedy there was in those episodes, the early ones. Like every sight gag, and every time they went to a shop, it had a funny thing. Every every character had a had a had something funny to say. It paved the way, didn't it, for Futurama and Family Guy and South Park and all these mm. other animated satirical are they for adults are they for teenagers yeah, yeah. shows and it often held the mirror up to society as you just said and it always it's predicted the future many people have said it also had yeah. celebrity cameos it was excellent wasn't it there was nothing like it it's like to say it like paved the way it's like it was it, they, they invented paving almost <laughs> like yeah and I, and I still think that i i look at those early th- i think it started in 1989 and it's just mesmerizing it, like I, I just think the amount of ground they covered with those with those episodes i think it's magnificent i mean it is i think it's sort of tragic that it's it's gone on about 20 years too long because really the the glory of it has been a bit diluted almost i always think if they'd stopped after seven or eight years it'd be unequivocally viewed as sort of the the peak of everest in terms of tv comedy but uh yeah, I, I, I'm such a fan. And I think for most people of my age and certainly most comics and comic writers, The Simpsons was formative to pretty much everyone, I think. It was Matt Groening, wasn't it, who created them? He was the mastermind. And that must have been a hell of a pick to say, look, this is a cartoon, but this is really for adults. Because as you say, it was so pioneering yeah. that people must have been very confused. Well, it's it's really interesting because it's, it is for adults. I mean, it is... In, in a way, it's almost the perfect family show because there's no swearing in it. There's not really any sex in it. So you can play it. You know, kids can watch it. I mean, that's why it was a big part of my childhood because kids can watch it. The pitch is it's fascinating, really. I mean, the, the rumour is, he, his story has always been that he, he was a cartoonist. He drew this cartoon called Life in Hell about a rabbit living in LA. And he was asked by James L. Brooks to pitch an animated thing for Fox. And he realised in the waiting room that he would have to hand over his life's work 
you know, basically Fox would own life in hell, this this thing he'd been working on his whole life if he pitched that. So he drew The Simpsons very quickly and pitched that instead. That's the story. I mean, whether it's true or not, it's a pretty amazing story. And then he had like, uh, we had James L. Brooks, who was, who'd come off Hollywood, sort of developed it with him. This guy, Sam Simon, who was like the guru of of sitcoms i think he was it taxi he'd worked on like some big stuff that was brought in to develop it with matt Groening. and like that i don't know they just it's like everything they touched turned to gold with this show and the writers room they got was was incredible like conan o'brien started out there john schwartzwelder started out there who now writes these comic uh, novels yeah i mean the simpsons is one of those things i can talk about it all day <laughs> i could and i've read books about it and i've I like think about it. Um, you know, if I ever write scripts or anything, I watch episodes of The Simpsons to just see how they construct jokes and construct scenes. Yeah, I'm, I, I, yeah, I'm a huge fan. The film was all right. I mean, the film was was okay, but I mean, it, I guess at this point, it's just such. It, it seems to generate so much money for everyone involved. They're not going to cancel it. I mean, <laughs> then they're never going to cancel it, are they? I guess the the show must still do decent enough ratings. Yeah, I'm. I am an absolute archetypal Simpsons fan who thinks. <laughs> who thinks that the first few years were great. And I don't know whether that's because they were much better or because I was younger. I mean, I don't know. It's good. I'm certainly going to go and rewatch those earlier series again. I've just got Disney Plus. So they've put them all on there. So I'm going to go and watch at least the first couple of series again. Yeah, I mean, it's so interesting. The first two series are so much slower than what the show became. I think sort of three to seven is sort of the peak. That's like, the those are the glory years where it felt like every single episode was a classic. Like everyone was like five-star experience. But it is interesting watching the first and second series because they, they, they haven't quite figured it out yet, but the seeds are there. Number two is a TV show that gets you laughing. I think we might see a sitcom here. I think we probably definitely will. But it's interesting to see what your spin on it is. Yeah, well, I I mean, I was going to say uh, 30 Rock for this. I don't know if you guys know 30 Rock. The American sitcom. The American sitcom, Tina Fey created it. It's about the sort of inner workings of a of a sketch show in American TV. But it, it is about that, but it kind of isn't really about that. It's kind of more about the characters and in particular Tina Fey uh, playing kind of a version of herself and her boss is Alec Baldwin playing <laughs> the, the funny, one of the funniest characters ever. And I just love it. It's like a great, it, I just think it's a great sitcom. It's really fast paced. It's kind of silly, but it's sweet. Again, it's a bit like The Simpsons, I suppose. It's a proper on ensemble piece all the characters are fantastic and I, I i love it i mean i've watched that's one of those few shows that i've watched all the way through multiple times i always enjoy it i feel like it's a really great way of learning about constructing comedy and stuff if you watch those episodes i don't know if you've ever watched that show or you know i haven't watched the show but it's one of these ones that you have on your list especially because these big american shows are so long and it went on yeah. for about it's like seven about years. Eight years or something yeah yeah. yeah yeah i think it was like way back in the just past the mid 2000s something like 2000 2007 I think is yeah, what, when, it when it started yeah. but a whole yeah. host of celebrities came from it am I right in thinking people like Elizabeth Banks and Alec Baldwin as you said wasn't Donald Glover yeah. in it at some point Donald Glover was in the writer's room oh. he wrote he was in the writer's room for it I mean it's crazy yeah that's <laughs> mad isn't it his career is, is particularly bad I think he went from the writer's room of that to and then he was in community so he was in like two of the big kind of acclaimed sitcoms cult sitcoms of that era but yeah some of the people they get on that show Oprah's in an episode forget I mean they, they I guess they sort of get everyone Steve Martin plays a character in it no I love it I, I think it's a, I just think it's a great sitcom it really makes me laugh Tina Fey as well is such a brain box isn't she when it comes yeah. to comedy because did, did she she was part of Saturday Night Live writing team or am I getting her yeah yeah, with yeah. Amy Poehler 
30 Rock is based on her experience. That's right. To Saturday Night Live. Yeah, she did that. She did, um, she wrote Mean Girls, which is a great film. Right. She made Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, which I think is really great. I haven't seen that yet. Yeah, really good sitcom. Yeah, I think she's she's got a great comic mind. I like the way she writes jokes. And then I just sort of lost track of it. And then a few years later, I moved in with someone who had all the DVDs and I started watching, oh no, they had seasons two, season three, season four. I watched them all. Like in about a week, I watched them all. And then I uh, illegally streamed them because I'm a badass. (laughs) There's that rebellious nature in you. Yes. (laughs) Take it to the man, always. Take that. But the episodes are, they're sort of American sitcom length. They're only about 20, 22 minutes an episode. And they really fly along. I mean, they pack a lot into those episodes. It's sort of astonishing how how much they can pack into it. Uh, I, I think it's a really stunning show. And another one that maybe the first half a season, first season in total, still finding its feet and then I think from season two it's just it's brilliant I I really am a big fan number three is a TV show that gets you sweating normally people choose a drama but we have had shows like would I lie to you on this before so you can literally take it however you like well I'll talk about the show that like sort of gripped me and like I just couldn't couldn't get enough of it and a lot of it is very sort of action or thrillery it's a uh, the Battlestar Galactica reboot I don't know if you ever saw the Battlestar Galactica well you're gonna have to educate me here because this is really not my field this is kind of is it sci-fi yeah it is it's it's Battlestar Galactica the original was like in the 70s they sort of remade it this guy Ronald D. Moore remade it for the sci-fi channel and it is like the most intense brilliant drama is just amazing and it's a hard sell <laughs> it's a hard sell because it's called Battlestar Galactica <laughs> you can't really go one foot in one foot out with this you're either no. all in or you're not I but I guess like the thing is is what Game of Thrones did to Lord of the Rings Battlestar Galactica kind of does to Star Trek but I find it so breathtaking <laughs> on Google this is what it says in a nutshell this is the synopsis a group of humans aboard a battleship Battlestar Galactica are forced to abandon their planet after being attacked by Cylons. Yeah. They try to evade the Cylons while searching for their true home. What's a Cylon? Yeah, what is a Cylon? That's the question on everyone's lips, Sean. Well, it's of course, it's the biggest question on all of our lips. Uh, <laughs> the Cylons are the uh, mechanic race that humans created to serve them. The Cylons then rebelled against the humans and ran away from Earth. And this series, Battlestar Galactica, is about the Cylons re-emerging, attacking Earth, and it follows the people who are basically managed to escape Earth just in time. I absolutely love it. They kind of look like anorexic Cybermen. Is that, that's, that's kind of what they look like. That's a really, yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. It was just late enough that it's acceptable special effects <laughs> for the Cylons. The space battles and stuff all look fine because I think it's, it's easier to do that stuff. So your choice is the reboot of Battlestar Galactica. Why not the yeah. original? What's so special? I've never watched the original. I've no interest in it. <laughs> I mean, that's the weird thing. I don't care about it as a property. Like, I don't, I don't have, a, I don't have emotions towards it as an entity. I care about this one show because it's so, it's so well written. It's so good, and it feels, it's, it's just the, the way that, the way that the story twists and turns is, it's a, it's just a great thriller. Really, it happens to be a sci-fi show, but it's a great thriller. I think the amount of episodes is probably. 70 or 60 it's not like it's one of those it's 150 episodes also get two tvs watch two at the same time you can 
didn't crack that out over a weekend. You know, like everyone's fighting each other. The Cylons on Cylons. <laughs> Such a good show. It's so good. I'm genuinely jealous of people who have never seen it. Gotta love mm. the Cylons. Uh, let's see if there's any Cylons in, in the fourth show, which is your free hit. And it's the show you couldn't live without. Well, it's of the same ilk, guys. Here we go. <laughs> Strap yourselves go. in. And it's... Uh, well, it's actually, funny enough, the guy who was the main person who rebooted Battlestar Galactica started off as a writer on this show. It is a, I just love this show. I still love this show. It's uh, Star Trek The Next Generation. I just, I adore it. I have always yeah. loved it. I will, I will always love it. That's my free hit. I didn't know, it didn't fit quite fit into any of the other categories, but I had to talk about, if I was going to talk about TV, I'd have to talk about it. I've seen quite a few episodes of this. My father is a massive fan of Star Trek The Next Generation. That's all he really watches, Star Trek The Next Generation and Nazi megastructures. They're literally like the only two things he ever watches. They made, is it seven series? I'm not quite sure off the top of my head. Yeah, yeah seven, seven seasons, seven yeah. Seasons. And it was, of its generation, probably the best sci-fi show going, do you think? Yeah, I mean, I would st- I would think so. I mean, the sort of the big contender it had was Star Trek Deep Space Nine, which was also a really, really good show. I mean, it sort of always gets viewed as a cult show, but I think the ratings were pretty high. Almost um, same question again. Why Star Trek The Next Generation and not Star Trek The Original Series? Just because of the updated graphics or the storyline's just generally better? Well, I think a lot of it is, I mean, it probably is a bit like I probably watched it when I was a kid. It was on when I was a kid, and so I probably got used to it then. I do think the characters are excellent. I do think they are really excellent. I think Patrick Stewart is incredible in it. I think his character is maybe my favourite character in any TV show. What's his character? Is he Captain? Yeah, Captain Picard, Captain Jean-Luc Picard, who made his comeback this year in Picard. The absolutely nowhere near as good (laughs) attempt to get more water from that well. Um, (laughs) This is all I can say. I like Star Trek and Next Generation is my favourite one. Do you consider yourself as part of the cult? And have you been to any conventions? Have you ever dressed up? I mean, how how big a fan are you? I've been to conventions, yeah. I mean, mean, I'm all in. (laughs) (laughs) I've never been anywhere where I have been so tough (laughs) I went to one it was at the XL Centre which is huge the sort of the scale of it and everyone dressed up I had a Star Trek Next Generation t-shirt I did not have the full gear it is astonishing how sad some of the people are. Like, I, I, I don't want to say that about my fellow Star Trek fans, but genuinely, you just want to go, I mean, I know we're both here, but you have to get a life, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell us what it's like you walk in? Can you tell us what you're seeing? You walk into the XL Centre, right? First thing you notice is people at Subway dressed as, as Vulcans and Klingons. <laughs> with bald drones walking around. You walk into the main bit and they've set up like a a fake Klingon bar in the corner. It's very cool. They've got like sets from the shows that you can go and get photos on. So they had the bridge set. I've got a photo somewhere of me on the bridge of Star Trek The Next Generation, which is unbelievable. Loads of people dressed as Star Trek characters. I mean, it really is that simple. You go to one stage and there'll be a Q&A with some actor or some special effects thing. You go to another thing, there'll be a Q&A. They'll have a costume contest at one point. It is an astonishing thing because also it's it's so expensive to go. Is it? And it is absolutely not worth the money. How much are they charging a pop? Because it was maybe 30 or 40 quid just to get in the building. But then you have to pay you know, 70 quid for a photo here, 30 quid for a photo here, all this stuff. I mean, it's big business. 
anyone who isn't absolutely obsessed with it, it's the worst day of their life. Did you get a photo with anyone? Yeah, I, I got a photo with uh, with Data. New Data? With the actor who played Data. Oh, I don't okay. know if you know Data, the android, yeah. And uh, and Worf, the Klingon. I got photos with them. Uh, and was that pretty, which, pretty spenny? I mean, yeah. It was three figures. I'll put it that way. It was oh, three figures. Oh, my Christ. Um, oh, my God. But that's money well spent, right? It's not like there's... I- it's not like there's people starving in the world. I mean, my wife's never seen the photo and I would like to keep it that way. <laughs> Do you have to hide your sci-fi love from her or does she also love it? No, she doesn't love it. She would ne- She's never watched an episode of Star Trek. She will never, even out of morbid curiosity, watch one if I watch one. She Aww. has no interest in it. Some of it was genuinely, legitimately brilliant television. And then there are a few, a handful each each season, I'd say, that are so utterly abhorrent. <laughs> They're <laughs> awful that it kind of gives them a, lev- a glory. What, I've forgotten the name of the episode now, but the, the, the one that's really bad is they go to a planet where everyone is uh, Scottish. <laughs> I'm not making this up. No way. I'm not making this up. It's where all the Scottish people, I guess it's like where all the Scottish people from Earth inhabited. What? And what's bad about it? What have they got to defeat? Wait, let me just think about the episode. One of the crew members has to go because a friend of theirs has died and it's for a funeral. And the friend was Scottish. And so there's like a bagpiper at the funeral. They swing so big that when they miss, it's always spectacular. Who is that TV personality going to be that you get to go and watch those shows with in Preston? Well, it's funny. I've been re-watching Parks and Recreation with my wife because it's such a lovely, warm show. And so I'd probably take Ron Swanson. I think he's such a such a great character, and he, he also seems like quite a quite a solid guy. Well, I'd certainly be fascinated to know what he makes of Battlestar Galactica. His character was that he was a, a government employee who's a staunch libertarian, so he doesn't really believe his own job should exist. He's sort of quite an old school masculine character, but he's very actually quite a sweet guy. You know, like he loves woodworking and things that are quiet and simple and i guess he's a traditionalist but he's um he's just a really i just find him really funny and and i just find him quite sweet the way he, he the way he approaches the world and certainly in that show i find him a, a, quite a sweet character yeah i'd love i'd love to sit in preston travel lodge and watch science fiction with him which show would you like to introduce him to the most do you think well I'm, I'm trying to think of which of them i mean i don't think he'd have any time for 30 rock because it's about new york liberals so he probably wouldn't have any time for that star trek the next generation is about a utopian future where money doesn't exist and everyone works together and he would probably Ron Swanson would probably view that as far too socialist for his own good yeah I I would say he'd get a kick out of Battlestar Galactica because there's a lot of guns and manliness in it I suppose so that's probably his that's probably the one he'd really go for what do you think you'd talk to him about I, uh, I'd like to talk to him about whiskey, to be honest. He seems bang into whiskey and I'd like to, hopefully he'd bring a couple bottles and we could, uh, we could have a drink and sit in silence. I mean, that's the one thing about Ron Swanson that I just, I love. He just wants to sit and have everything be silent. And that's kind of how I view the world. Any favourite whiskies? What would you bring, or what would you ask him to bring? Oh, he knows far more than me. He's a he's a connoisseur. I'm just a. I I buy Tullibarden, which I think is a single malt whisky. But yeah, he'd probably have some incredible double malts from Scotland and some great Irish. I'd love a bit from of that. that Star Trek yeah. planet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I bet the whisky on that planet is next level. Are you serious? Oh but we're not going to let you and Ron Swanson starve. You get to take a snack or food item that you get an unlimited supply of. That's all you can eat throughout the weekend. It's all you can eat and it's all you can eat. What are you going to be bringing? 
I don't know if it's bland or not, but for me, the, the ultimate sitting on the couch watching TV food is like just tortilla chips, just regular sort of tortilla chips, maybe some guacamole or some hummus if you're feeling decadent. But if I could have that, if I could just get be given like 20 bags of those, that would be fine with me. Are we talking branded Doritos here or are we talking Sainsbury's Basics? Any type. I mean, if it's good quality, I guess Doritos ones, but not like a cool original or I mean, like just salted tortilla chips, like the, I, yeah, not, not, not a specific flavored one. Some of them have got like lime flavor. They do like salted, but with a bit of lime. I'm like, they're okay. Just give me regular salted and I'll take any sort. Basically, it's just like the salt. I think it's the salt that I like. It's just salt in your mouth. All Incredible. Time. You two yeah. want to get a room. Oh, I hate it. I, I, I'm a God freak. Yeah. I'm a freak in the fact that I don't like salt. Like, I don't like excess salt. If I can taste it, I despise it. I don't know what to do with that. Like, if you'd have told me that before the podcast, I would never have come on this show. I really feel that strongly about it. I just cannot believe that someone who doesn't like salt is hosting a television podcast. I mean, that is just astonishing development there. Salt improves any dish, though, doesn't it? So really, it's just salt that we enjoy, not actually anything else. Well, that's what they say. Well, don't they say, uh, like cooks say, that salt is the, the one thing, like if all herbs and seasoning was banished, I don't know how such a situation would occur, but they had to main, they had to keep one. It would be salt because it's even if you can't taste it, it seems to bring out flavor in in almost anything. They do salt and butter. I think is basically what makes all good food great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's have that. Absolutely vile. Oh, Absolute we'll sycophants. Well. we'll give you a few dips as well if you want them. Well, I'll have some guacamole. I'll have some guacamole. I mean, I love a bit of guacamole. I'll have some. I'll have some hummus. Salsa, I'm not that into, but I'll take it. Well, we'll give it to you anyway. That seems fair. Yeah, give me one of those one of those sort of trip triple plastic container things that has all three on them and that'll oh, do me yeah, fine. I'll join you for some of the dips. I'll have a little spoon for a taramasa latte. I'm not going to lie. I think you've made your bed. I think you've... Yeah. But uh, are you, you going to be sharing your tortilla tips, uh, chips with uh, Ron Swanson? Your what? <laughs> well, I guess I guess I have to. I mean, he, I mean, he seems to have a love of meat and sort of barbecue food, and I would hope that tortilla chips would fall into that bracket. I could probably happily suck the salt off a tortilla. Oh, you're really getting me going. And you I don't wonder why you're single, Luke. That is an <laughs> abysmal line. Well, you are going to Preston, young man. You're taking a TV show that makes you think of your childhood, which is The Simpsons, a TV show that gets you laughing, 30 Rock, a TV show that gets you sweating, the Battlestar Galactica reboot, and your free hit Star Trek The Next Generation. You're taking with you your TV personality, Ron Swanson, and your unlimited snack is tortilla chips. Any regrets? What a desperate weekend that is. <laughs> I, I, I will put, put myself out there to anyone listening to this who needs a bit of convincing. Go on YouTube, watch the opening scene to Battlestar Galactica, and, well... That's, you'll find out whether you're into it or not based on that. <laughs> well, amazing. Enjoy your hotel room in Preston. I'm sure you look forward to it, Sean. Thank you so much for having me, guys. And there we go. That was Sean McLaughlin there. Hilariously funny. Nice guy as well. Really open, really honest. It's really nice when we get to talk to someone like that. Especially because I didn't know what a sci-fi nut he was. He absolutely yeah. loves it. That's the same convention, the one that he was talking about. The same one that my father went to as well. That same convention. He got me a Big Bang Theory script signed, so I was happy. Pretty good. Signed by a stranger or by someone in the cast? <laughs> the cast, really. The whole cast. Excellent stuff. Yeah, it's all right. Uh, his childhood choice was The Simpsons. I'm a big fan of The Simpsons. I've seen 1 to 12 in seasons really good yeah remember having it around tea time glass of milk chili con carne before swimming practice or some inevitable game you had to play as a child um, or class but yeah cool 
A timeless classic, really, in terms of cartoons and probably one of the first cartoons I can remember as a child as well. That was a bit naughty and had innuendo. His choice that got him laughing was 30 Rock with Tina Fey and a stream of American stars. Yet to see it, but it sounds fantastic. All about the behind the scenes of the sketch show and Tina Fey's experiences on Saturday Night Live influenced it. Mm, Never seen Saturday Night Live. (laughs) Everyone loves it. His sweating choice going into the sci-fi realms now was Battlestar Galactica, the reboot, not the original. Yeah, it was all about those Cylons, wasn't it? It's all about those Cylons. I wish we knew more about sci-fi. That's the annoying thing. He spoke so passionately about it and he really does love it. Even his wife won't let him watch it with her. So he has to confide in us and we can't give him that. And maybe we should watch some. Well, if you love that, you can go on to his free hit, which was Star Trek The Next Generation, another sci-fi show. I've seen a little bit of it, but only very small. I'm talking probably like 20 minutes max here. He's always on in my house, so there's always an opportunity to watch it. No excuse. Moving on to his bonus choices, his TV personality he's taken to Preston with him is Ron Swanson from Parks and Recreation, played by Nick Offerman. They wanted to have a chat about whiskey, maybe share a glass or two of a single malt. His snack item, I can't believe it's happened again. It's salty. It's tortilla chips, which I can't even pronounce normally. Uh, yeah. Tortilla. You've got to get a bit more cultured. Yeah, it sounded absolutely delicious. He's going to have a bit of guacamole, uh, some salsa, any other dips that might be available, like hummus. Which is actually quite generous of us. We normally just allowed the food item. So we've actually been really kind in giving him a dip there. Not that it matters whether we agree or not, but yet again, salt has come up. Um, Maybe you realise that you really are on your own. You're in a minority of people that don't like salty snacks to watch. I don't think I am. I think people are just closed-minded. I think we really need to get some sweeties in, some people who are going to love sweets. I think they're out there and I want them on this podcast. I don't want to be alone. I think, you know, we need to have a nibble on a sherbet lemon. What are you going to do this afternoon? Um, oh, I don't know, really. It's quite sunny outside, maybe sit in the garden. Disgusting. I'm going to be sitting in a cold, dark room. And we know what Sean's going to be doing. He's going to be sat at a table with his newly married wife, building St Paul's Cathedral out of 127 sticks. Freak. <laughs> <laughs> 